0: Welcome to Building Better Businesses, in ABA podcast. Learn firsthand from business owners who built successful ABA businesses. Utilize proven techniques and strategies to help your practice thrive. This is Building Better Businesses, in ABA podcast with Jonathan Mueller.
1: Erica Kinnebrew is a BCBA. Got her master's at FSU and is the founder of not one, not two, but three different ABA practices. Uh, after successfully selling her practices to Acorn, she co-founded ABA Engine to make waitlists a thing of the past. Welcome to the pod, Erica.
0: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
1: I, You know, so Erica, I, I have to start with like most people like who start one ABA practice like me, I feel like are crazy enough as it is. And you've started freaking like three ABA practices. Tell me more about your entrepreneurial journey.
0: Yeah. So it's kind of a crazy wild ride. Um, It started in Monterey, California, where I met uh, Jeff Gabrielson, the founder of Aptitude, which was later acquired by Blue Sprig. Um, And he hired me to open his Clarksville, Tennessee location. My husband was in the Army, so we moved to Annapolis after that, opened my own company there and branched into virginia and then um had an opportunity to open a company in michigan northern michigan um the reason why i didn't brand it under turning point which was my maryland and virginia company is because it was going to be a different model for those who have been operating or employees in different states there's little tweaks to the model that um can make a company more successful in one state than in another. You know, you could have this like perfect model. A good example is center, like big broad brushstrokes, center versus home-based, right? And that was kind of one of the big differences Mm. for these two. Turning Point was uh, center-based in Maryland and that was a model that worked really well there. But it wasn't gonna work with the more rural location in northern michigan so it needed to be a different model and there were other tweaks versus rather than just you know it wasn't just home-based versus um, center-based so and then i branched Mm. into um, florida then i partnered with dr josh pritchard added another city in florida and branched into um, georgia and so they just sort it's just naturally kind of ended up with three different companies (laughs)
1: I, I, I love that you know what that speaks to me is it's sort of like building authentic relationships like that means you um, you bring to a relationship like that which you want to engage in and you make that real and it's almost the same way you were bringing to those states that which they needed, and that structure that organizational structure that was best going to work in that state's operating environment. And that feels, that feels really neat. I mean, do you have any recommendations to, for an organization who might be like branching into a new state, like, or, or, or what to consider uh, mm-hmm. about starting an entirely new, say, LLC, a new company versus doing it under the banner and you know, articles of incorporation of their existing company?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, honestly, if I had to do it again, I think, I think you can do it either way and be successful, um, obviously consider rural versus urban, you know, what's your population density, what thinking about, um, your client, what are they, what is the makeup of that, uh, client in that mm-hmm. area? Do you have a lot of Medicaid families? Do you have a lot of single moms? Do you have a lot mm-hmm. of one, um, income households? Uh, because maybe you have families with one car. You know, there, there are things to consider, like that um, big picture, what makes the most sense from a model. And now we're looking at in our field, kind of this, I think it's morphed, kind of started in home, pushed to the center-based model, COVID maybe pushed us back in home a little. And then like there was this crazy telehealth that all of a sudden became a wonderful mm. tool. And now I think we're trying to, as a field, hold on to that more because we can see the value and all of a sudden we can reach families we couldn't reach before. So I think that there's value in the tools and there's value in the business models. Um, We have to have all of them if we're going to reach all of the Mm -hmm. kids.
1: Yeah, well said. And I think there's this expression that like all healthcare is local. Right. And so if nothing else, listeners that you may be taking away know that you have to bring a a model that resonates locally as opposed to trying to say we're going to stamp out something that boom is going to be like 50 percent of what everyone in all 50 states is going to need. Well, Erica, what's like what were the highest and lowest parts of your entrepreneurial journey?
0: Oh, man. So as you know, I'm sure as an entrepreneur, uh, it's like the best roller coaster on the planet. Um, And unfortunately, you don't get the fun highs without figuring out how to mentally strengthen yourself to deal with the lows because you can't have one without the other. Um, I would say the highest parts are the time for me, like the most exciting, the most like what I kind of uh, strive for, like almost a drug, right? Like I'm striving for that over and over again Mm -hmm. is are the times when everything was clicking. I had put the workflows in place. I had put the processes in place. I had put the um, right team members in the right places where they were just soaring. And everyone felt like they were successful. Everyone felt like they were part of the team and that they were contributing. And there was buy-in and there was more than buy-in. There was um, like a sense of ownership and pride in what we were building. That is incredible incredible. That is the best Mm. feeling in the world when you're all rowing in the same direction and you're all excited to get there. Um, that's incredible. Now you're gonna ask me about my lows, aren't Mm. you?
1: (laughs) I am. (laughs) You okay? Let me reflect on one thing though. You know, the, um, you put it so well, this roller coasters, but I way way back in the day, actually when I was living in Hong Kong, my parents were in the Ford service, they were diplomats, We moved around, but like there were in Hong Kong dragon boat races once a year. And we actually had a team one year where literally you had, I don't know, 20 people ish in a boat and you had a paddle on either side. And, uh, these are huge boats, right. That take forever to get going. And there was one person at the front of the boat that was just banging a drum. That's literally their only job. I mean, those who might, you know, row crew, they this this um, this probably resonates. But like what was so interesting to me is when that drummer wasn't going and we were all trying to paddle, I guess we went nowhere. Or worse, we sort of would like side drift and like we're putting all this energy into it and we're accomplishing anything. And as you described this idea of like when things are clicking, that idea of a dragon boat, the drummer just boom,
0: boom. And boom. What and happens? Every single or going. Yeah, and what happens if that drummer changes rhythm? Like, oh, let's have this rhythm. Oh wait, mm-hmm. no, 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 let's have that rhythm, right? Like that can kill a team. That's That speaks to the vision and the leadership and how incredibly important that is too.
1: Exactly, that's part of the joy and the really hard challenge of yes. being an entrepreneur. So yes, we've delayed long enough. <laughs> what was your lowest point of your entrepreneurial journey?
0: Oh my gosh, um, I mean, the reality is sometimes the weight is just really a lot. It's just really a lot, and it's hard to carry. And I think that um, I don't I'm assuming that all entrepreneur entrepreneurs have an entrepreneur monster, but sometimes my entrepreneur monster gets out of control. and that's the that's like that little voice in your head that says, mm. "What are you doing? You can't do this? You're a fraud. Why do you think you can do this? What in your background makes you mm. think that you have the skills and the experience to do this? You know, who are you? So I think the hardest part for me has been uh, keeping his muzzle on because he is loud and obnoxious Mm. and irritating. And when I can't, when I don't keep him in check, um, I am not, I don't show up as a good leader. So I think that's the hardest. It's like myself, right? I'm like my own worst enemy.
1: It's true. It's true. I mean, the, the idea that entrepreneurs are cursed with competence, right? And um, I love that. Gosh, that imagery of the entrepreneur monster that's like sitting on your shoulder and that you're like constantly trying to muzzle, mm-hmm. or at least give the right energy to, uh, is is really profound. Well, it's it, what I, you know. As I understand that you, you had a, a successful exit, um, you sold to Acorn. Um, so, what advice do you have for an ABA founder owner who's considering selling their practice?
0: Yeah, so um, I wish that I had talked to someone um, early in my journey that I had gotten some advice. And the cool thing for business owners now is there are a lot of ABA, BCBAs who have exited companies. So there's a pool of people um, that you can talk to that you can get advice from. And that would be my biggest recommendation, talk to those people. Um, Some more specific recommendations would be Um, Well, just a little bit more about my experience sitting on the seller side. My first um, was bringing a family fund in. So I had some experience with a partial sell, Mm. and then a continued operation, and then with a private equity-backed group, ACORN. Um, And then the first job that I held in ACORN, I had the privilege of working on their business development team, and I was able to learn a tremendous amount sitting on the other side of the table. What mm. what does diligence look like from their perspective, and what are they looking for when they look under the hood? And it was just a tremendous learning experience that I'll really be forever grateful for. Um, so, for a business owner selling, um, I mean, I think why are you selling? Maybe there's a reason that you just, you know, you just need to exit. Maybe there's some emergency or something going on. But if you have time, I would say you need to look under your hood, think about what type of business would you want to sell to? Do you want what does do you want your role to look like going forward? Um, Getting really clear about what it would look like for you is pretty important. Um, And then that kind of gives the directive for, okay, what things do I need to do? I need to. You know, maybe I need to clean up my business model a little bit or I've got a year runway, so I'm going to focus on this one KPI right here and get it a little bit more clean, so that I know that I can exit better. Um, hmm. But then also do your research on the companies that you're you're look you're looking at selling to. Um, you can easily talk to previous acquisitions that they've done and get information about, hey, what did you expect when you went through the process? What was that process like? And what was the other side of it like? And was it what you thought it was going to be? What things do you wish you had known? Um, so I think it's important to do your research and gather as much information as you can. Talking to other people is the best way to do it.
1: Oh, Amen. It's almost like, you know, to whatever extent possible, to be able to take your time, I think is what I'm hearing. From you mm-hmm. and and do the research ask the questions do the self-reflection that feels critically important why am i selling what am i hoping to get out of this um what does it mean in my life what role if any do i want to play um yeah all that's critical i also and i think like there's this idea this is gonna sound really funny erica but like of just good hygiene of running a business you mm-hmm. know like i mean for most aba practice owners like who are of quality you're already doing this for like the clinical side of your business, but then what about for the operations mm-hmm. and your consistent reporting? What about just like financial reporting? It's just good hygiene. It's like going to the dentist, right? No one loves it, but you know you got to do it, and it ends up, you know, saving money down the line, or it ends up you right. got better teeth and a better smile down the line. But it's like that hygiene thing. Um, but yes, it all starts with understanding what you're trying to get out of it. I think that's powerful. Mm-hmm. I, well, you know, you um, you were really fortunate then, and, and you are a classic. It, it sounds like lifelong entrepreneur. Um, uh, who went ahead to start ABA Engine. And, and I love ABA Engine's founding premise, and that is that wait lists should be a thing of the past. Let's make them go the way of the dodo. So tell me more about why you started it and and how you help ABA practices achieve that.
0: So I'm going to totally butcher this quote because I'm like relying on my memory, but there's a Mark Twain quote that I read recently that um, the basic premise is, success equals confidence plus ignorance. So Mm. I uh, went into the tech side of things because I have confidence and ignorance. So that's kind of, I guess at that moment in time, I had shut up my monster and he wasn't talking to me. So I was like, oh, this is a good idea. Let's go start a tech company. But the the problem that I saw in our industry was, managing that, like, so we have, we have practice management platforms um, that manage kind of the client's piece, right? Once your client is in the door, Mm -hmm. and they're working with you, and we all know ABA is intensive. So there's a lot of scheduling, there's a lot of billing, all those pieces. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing prior to. And so what happens is clients end up on waiting lists, because the only way to manage that is through spreadsheets, And it's, first of all, it's Mm -hmm. cross-functional. And it's not only cross-functional for one aspect of the business, it's cross-functional for two aspects of the business, onboarding and intake. And both are Mm -hmm. cross-functional and both have to come together at, at the right timing. There's nothing to manage that. And so that is what I wanted to solve in Turning Point when I was operating it in Maryland. And we did, we completely eliminated our waiting list. And we went from about 60 days from the family first hits are um, like either they fill out a form or they call us till they have their direct service start to less than 30. And we were able to do wow. that because we got really clear about the details in that whole big mess of things. And the way I was able to get mm. very clear about the details is because I had visibility and we don't have visibility you know, someone owns some part and then they give it to someone else. But even that transition doesn't have visibility. So, um, that is what I wanted to solve at the simplest, the simplest base form of it was a software that allows you, the business owner to see, or whoever's managing it, to see the pieces of the intake pipeline. If you think about a funnel coming down and the pieces of the onboarding pipeline Mm-hmm. So that they can and it's map based, so they can match those things. You know the timelines between each of the pieces, and you match up your employees and your uh, clients um, so that neither one is waiting. It's a great idea. Mm. and it it will, I think, be revolutionary. Uh,
1: that is revolutionary. The idea that we could actually get away from wait lists. And to clarify, like the, the, the you solve that at your. Maryland ABA practice, you did not yet have ABA engine, tell me a little bit more about, um, about this idea of the details, like what those specific details are that you have to get right? Because I think this is, a, this is one of the um, less understood notions that there's not a silver bullet Right, that you can like fire and say, all right, wait list is gone. The reality is there are these um, dozens, if not hundreds, of like interdependent variables Mm -hmm. that you just gotta get each one right on. And I think that's what you were highlighting. What are some of those details that like practice owners should be thinking about? And that I'm assuming ultimately went into designing ABA engine.
0: Yeah. So how we solved it in turning point was incredibly manual. We use metadata and central reach. Um, spreadsheets, Mm -hmm. uh, built out Power BI dashboards. Mm -hmm. And so Mm
1: -hmm. um,
0: it wasn't super cohesive. There was a tremendous amount of manual. It relied heavily on key employees controlling all aspects, which Mm -hmm. you and I both know that's not scalable. You can't can't base something around an employee. Um, Mm -hmm. So I wanted to find the solution that was scalable, which is how ABA Engine was born. But going back to your question about the specific um, pieces, if you think about that onboarding state, well, let's do intake first. If you think about the intake stage for a client, and they all go through basically the same process, right? They're brand new. They come into your organization somehow. They call you, they fill out a form online. Um, mm. Someone has to check their benefits. Then you have to gather paperwork. Then you have to request uh, an authorization. Then you get the authorization. It goes to the clinician to schedule the assessment, to complete the assessment, to then kick it back so that the intake team can request Mm -hmm. the direct service off. And maybe there's some communication back and forth with the clinician if there's not uh, clear information on what every payer provides. You know, there could be like, oh, Mm. Aetna needs this also, you know. Um, so you can cut down on some of those pieces. That's more in the details of having your processes and things in mm-hmm. place. But and so each of those things should take a certain amount of time. And those are the details that if you get really clear about them and you have visibility, you can say, oh, we have a new client. You know, you have X number of hours to call that person back or you have X number of hours to verify benefits. Mm-hmm. Or once you verify benefits, you have X number of hours or days to request an authorization. And that can be, you know, company defined, but those add up to the total time to service. And you have to then also be able to manage that and match it with the same, you know, parallel track, which is your employees are coming through. And we all know this is intensive, right? So Mm -hmm. you can hire one BCBA who has a caseload of eight to 12 uh, kiddos. So you could Mm -hmm. have a BCBA who's ready, but an RBT, especially if you're doing early intervention, um, it's like a one to two, maybe one to three ratio. You've gotta, every time you've got mm. three clients coming in, you've gotta make sure you have another, every time you've got two clients that come in you've gotta have another RBT ready to go. Um, and the same same kind of idea with the onboarding for the employees, they've gotta get through their HR paperwork, they've gotta get through whatever credentialing paperwork is required for your payers in your state Some states even require um, licenses for RBTs now. Is it licenses Mm -hmm. or is it like just, I'm not sure. I think there's out west states that require that they register with a state or something. Might be the credential. Credential. With the, yeah. Different from an insurance provider, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, like all of those pieces, Uh, you have to know those Mm -hmm. timelines or even the Mm -hmm. board. (laughs) <laughs> if you have a brand new person that you're training, how long does it take to get their RBT? So all of those pieces, um, at time.
1: Mm. Would it be fair to say that Erica, for someone who's wanting to like tackle this weightless problem, one of the first things to do, if you haven't yet done it, is just document your process. Just like literally just write down, here's how it's oh, meant yeah. to happen. If you can put it in a loose, luc- lucid chart or write some kind of visual process map. Um, it, and the reason I'm asking, or maybe I'll answer a question is, like, when I found that, like, something's really obvious, but it's not written down, then I write it down, and I go ask, like, three different team members, hey, can you, like, write it down, too? I always end up seeing, oh, wait, hold on a second. The way I visualize it is not how it's starting. But is that, like, one initial step uh, that, that, that an ABA practice could take?
0: Absolutely. And I think you said something really important there. If you have a process that's cross-functional, Oftentimes, if you go ask different people, you're not going to get the same answer. Um, And to really pay attention Mm -hmm. to those pieces because um, it's just such a, it can be such a drain on the operational efficiency of a company and to make sure that everybody's on the same page. So I think that's a great first step to have different people write down what they think their process is or what they are are operating, what is their process currently, Mm -hmm. but then what does it need to be when you're looking cross-functionally? Mm,
1: yeah, so there's like this document, visualize, ask others, make sure that the right stakeholders are involved in providing feedback. Um, you can then identify like what metrics indicate success and measure those, I think you heard you describe that. And then you also described to your point, like you can't have just one person where like everything, uh, everything lies with that personal responsibility. Right. But you can train people effectively, set clear expectations, mm-hmm. and make sure that that measurement is happening ongoing. So awesome. how do you – really, this is really insightful. So on the other side of that, the, you know, thinking about team member onboarding, um, you know, I know a lot of practices right now are saying, oh my gosh, just get me team members, right? And then I'll think about process. But why, why is it so important to be thinking about process first um, in order to enable and unlock bringing on team members to serve kids?
0: Um, I mean, the most obvious answer is that that's their first experience with your company. And that's going to set, that's going to just set a stage that they build things from, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. Um, And they are going to, the story that they tell themselves about your company starts right there. And so getting them, I mean, that's, that first touch, those first pieces are so critical because that's where you have the biggest chance of buy-in and um, excitement around your your company's vision and what you're trying to accomplish. So Mm -hmm. you might get them excited later, but that first piece just has, is incredible in the power, I think, for what it can mean for them as an employee and how long they're likely to stay with you.
1: For sure. I always like to say, like, we can't get customer experience like our actual clients are serving right if we can't first get our team member experience right. So I amen to to what you just described. Well, tell me more about how um, then you translated all these really important ideas into ABA Engine and how ABA Engine helps to solve these things
0: i think that you know right now i'm starting with the i want to provide visibility and i want to provide um, kind of this understanding that this can be more efficient um and then i you know it's technology and it's expensive (coughs) excuse me so i have a laundry list of wonderful ideas that I want to add that will have to kind of come later as we continue to build it. Mm -hmm. One of the big things though, I want to be able to partner with businesses and incorporate their feedback into what we're doing instead of just, I mean, I have, Mm -hmm. I have an understanding of what I think it needs to look like from being a business owner as well. But when we get down into the nitty gritty, into the details, I want there to be Tremendous amount of feedback from the first uh, from the businesses that partner with us instead of looking at, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of tech, I think, in our space. (coughs) Excuse me. A lot of tech in our space. um, Optimizes for profitability, and I think that you have Mm -hmm. to have a company that's profitable, but my goal with ABA Engine is to optimize for impact and be profitable and i think i can do that partnering with other aba business owners and focusing on um, our build based on their feedback versus based on just spreadsheets and what looks good to the bottom line
1: and you mentioned ABA practice like owners, that are billing and insurance issues getting so you down? Well, let me tell you, Element RCM is your answer. You you Element provides every world-class every revenue cycle management services, contracting, credentialing, authorizations, billing, and more. Element's your partner, so you can focus on what you love to do, providing the highest quality services to your families and clients. Element's a preferred partner of the Behavioral Health Center of Excellence, and its founders have nearly 20 years of experience owning and operating successful ABA organizations. They understand you, they know that every dollar counts, that integrity is everything. Element works with any practice management system, and Element's not a vendor, they're your partner. So find out more and take a free revenue cycle assessment at elementrcm.ai. I love that. Yes, visibility so critical, uh, and and you mentioned effectively like the the double bottom line, like optimize for profitability and impact. It mm-hmm. sounds like that's what you've uh, you've endeav- endeavored to do. Now, as I understand, um, part of ABA Engine is this ABA connects kind of community. Um, that's an early stage. Tell tell me more about that.
0: <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. Sure. So it is a community that's completely free. The goal. Okay. So I'm going to go back to our, our original app because everything came from there. Um, your client, we have an abundance of clients, but at some point the clients Mm -hmm. coming into the pipeline will be addressed through marketing. That's going to have to be something that businesses, I mean, businesses are already starting to really hone in and, it used to be you could hang a shingle and you had a million people needing services so getting your clients in through marketing um but how do you get your employees into that funnel and the reality is there's a massive Mm. deficit in our field of both bcbas and even a greater deficit of rbt's um there are a lot i know that's hard for us to believe because we've been in the field for a while but there are people out there who don't know what our field is there are college students who have never heard of ABA. Back in mm-hmm. 2008, when I started this journey, I had a bachelor's in psychology and a master's degree in emotional disturbances and learning disabilities. I had studied um, behaviorism, but I did not know what ABA mm. was and it never came up. And so when I met my, my friend had a child with autism, and they were, um, I'm like totally squirreling right now. I'll bring it back. Give me just a second. They I were- love No, I love it. <laughs> um, I was in her house watching this ABA therapy session. And I remember looking at her and saying, what is this magic thing that's happening right now? Um, and so she's the one who introduced me to Jeff Gabrielson and, and got me into the field. That was back in 2008 you know, fast forward to now, there's still people like me who don't know our field. Okay, so we're creating this app. We can have the client funnel through marketing. How do we get the employee funnel? So that's the next thing I solved for. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you how I screwed up before I tell you about the. So then I created a a job app um, for specifically for RBTs Um, And we spent a lot of money marketing um, to pull people into this app and realize that really what I need to target are not existing RBTs, but people who would love to be a part Mm. of this field if they knew that the field existed. You Mm -hmm. can't market to those people and then have them join a jobs app for a field that they don't know anything about. So I'd create another step. So that's the community. The community is um, a free space. It's not just for people who are new to our field. It's I'd love to have RBTs, BCBA's, BCABAs because I want there to be a mentorship kind of environment. We're launching events mm-hmm. next month, um, which I guess is tomorrow. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and um, then marketing to people who would be interested in our field and need more information. And so then bringing them into this community so that they can get the information. And then if this is something they want to pursue, pushing them into that the JAWS app, which then becomes the funnel for them. So that's the big picture.
1: Wow, and we will definitely drop a link in the show notes to um, uh, the schedule of those coming up. Gosh. Erica, this idea that um, you could attract people from outside the field to begin a career here—I mean, that we're, we're not, we can't grow people internally fast enough in our field right. to solve all of the the needs that clients have. And I, I don't—maybe I'm crazy on this. Maybe this is the flip side of like the the the, the positive effect of the Great Resignation, which I know is like mm, unholy to say. Right, like if. Um, Yes, people are leaving our field and there's a heck of a lot of people out there right now that I'm sure I say it's great working at Burger King, but I'm done. (laughs) Is there more of a calling out there? And I, Mm -hmm. yeah, I actually love working with kids and or I was a babysitter once. And if we somehow could get in front of them and attract them in this like critical juncture in their Mm -hmm. career, that could be one way to solve it. Wow. It sounds like ABA Connects has that noble endeavor.
0: Yeah. And we have it, um, in the app stores. It's, you can just search ABA connects spelled connects, not crazy, just C O N N E C T S. And it's, um, for Android and mm. for iPhone, it's up and running. We're going to have more engagement in there soon. Um, yeah, it's completely free for everybody except for me. But that's awesome. Okay. And, and
1: yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're paying it forward. That's cool. Uh, and it's for BCBAs or RBTs, right? right? Or perspective. Right. SBAs or RBTs, is that right? Yep. Um, what, the, what are um, some of the differences between starting a healthcare services business versus a technology business?
0: <laughs> um, so, a healthcare, um, well, technology um, is very different because software, software, yeah, software engineers have a different language that they speak. That I don't understand, mm. and so when I first started this journey, I was like, "Oh yeah, I'll just hire some developers." <laughs> there go that's the ignorance part,
1: yep.
0: and we'll just we'll yep. just do this. Um, so it doesn't really work that way, you know. You can kind of in a healthcare field. When I started um, the operating companies, I could research payers. I mean, it I could it spent, it took me time to understand oh, these payers are going to require this, these things. This is how I need to get my contracting done. This is how I need to get my credentials. Mm-hmm. This is how I need to set my business up. Like I could research and get, it's not that easy to just research and learn um, all of the things that you would have to understand to be able to talk to, talk to and have a conversation with a positive outcome. Um, with a software developer, because they're just tracking mm. something completely differently. They don't understand your world. You don't understand their world. And so um, pretty quickly in the journey, I realized I needed um, someone to help me bridge that gap. And so that's when I called a friend of mine who I'd known for years. Her name is Christina Bernard. She's, a, um, she's brilliant. And she is a data scientist. And I said, Christina, mm. I need help. And so she referred me to some colleagues of hers who had like software companies. And I ended up coming back to her and I said, Okay, when I say I need help, what I mean is I need you. What what is it gonna take? Like, because I can't do this without you. So she came on as a partner and is just been an incredible, incredible piece of our journey. Um, I would say the mm. other thing that's very different is when you start a software company, you don't have a ready-made customer base. You know, you have mm. um, an idea that what you're building is going to solve a problem. But there's not a guarantee versus for ABA, there's almost a guarantee that, I mean, there is a guarantee, right? that you have a customer base who wants your service because, you're providing a therapy that's incredibly needed and has already been Mm. provided by other people. So no one else has built this software before. So I have no idea. Um, other than my assumption that this is the solve and this is um, something that's going to be adopted. Um, so it requires, I think a tremendous amount of research upfront. Um, really knowing and understanding your customer just to kind of mitigate that risk. So Mm -hmm. we have, we have two pre-signed companies. So that makes me feel like I'm headed in the right direction. Um, but it, it is very different from starting an ABA company. Yes.
1: Uh, Just the fact though, that Erica, that you were able, you had the self-awareness and the low ego enough to say, I need help. I think you gut check me on this. This is one of the hardest things about being an entrepreneur, right? If you're an entrepreneur designing this organization with a mission that is meeting these critical needs that um, you know that no one else has met before, you're envisioning this world, as I like to say, that that doesn't exist. Like you're you're just crazy enough to do that. It means you have to have so much confidence in what you're doing. That's the powerful part of being an entrepreneur. But the flip side is, it can be really hard to admit. You know what? I don't know enough about. In this case, as you described it, um, uh, you know, data science and technology, and you needed a partner for that. Or even an ABA practice owner may be saying, I don't know as much about operations. I don't know as much about revenue cycle, whatever it might be, um, if mm-hmm. they come from a clinical background. But that takes really low ego, right? Like, How do you, um, how do you cultivate like, that sense of, like, hey, I'm going to be curious enough that it's okay if I don't have the answers and I might need to bring someone in? help me
0: i think it's just your what is your driving force um i'm an entrepreneur not because i like i like building things right so it doesn't matter Mm. to me if i'm building them with someone else as long as i can have actually i prefer to build them with someone else it's more fun but (laughs) as long as i can see my vision come to fruition um that's my driving force um so I mean, I would love to say, oh, yeah, it's low ego. I got that one. I don't know that that's true. But I think it's more, I think it's more honestly, um, just my focus is what do we need to do to make this happen? What needs to be in place? What people need to be here? What are the steps? And um, it just isn't about me, it's about the thing that we're building. That's what's exciting.
1: It isn't about me. It's about the thing that we're building. Oh, so well said, Erica. Thanks. That's genius. I, um, so you're, I noticed your LinkedIn tagline. Um, here, I'm going to try not to, to butcher here, but I think it, it really struck me and it resonated. Um, but it was scaling applied behavior analysis businesses more efficiently through technology. Oh, Erica, that's just so well said like my question i don't know if this is even an answerable question but why is the healthcare field generally and the aba field in particular like why are we so in the stone age when it comes so to it's
0: so funny because i didn't know we were until i brought christina on and she's like you guys can't do this you can't do that why can't we api connect into your into your uh, practice management platform i'm like i oh, don't know what you're talking about. I don't know why. Uh, I have uh, since learned what API means just for the record. Yeah. <laughs> but um, she so you know, she kind of opened my eyes to this reality that and especially now as we're building um, this tech company, I mean, the just silly little pieces of software that she's like, Oh, we're going to use this to do that. And I'm like, I didn't even know that existed. Um, mm. So I think that though in general in the healthcare field the contingencies in place for uh, doctors, hospitals to spend money on technology, they're not in favor of the spend because typically Mm. technology is going to bring more power to the patient, more visibility More access to care, like reducing the hurdles to change providers, right? And they're not incentivized to do that because, and I don't know, I don't think this is necessarily conscious. I think that doctors and hospitals and people in the healthcare field are good people, um, but they're incentivized to keep their patients. That's their revenue. Uh, so I think just kind of in general, it, it's a risk, and then there are, the incentives aren't necessarily there. And then specifically in an ABA, you have a field that was really built by clinicians, not business owners. And so then you start pushing tech in and you ask them to spend money on something that's going to have an ROI later, and it's a concept, that isn't necessarily easy to understand, number one. And number two, Mm -hmm. um, most small business owners are in the weeds. And so there's also a perspective Mm -hmm. and mindset Mm -hmm. shift that has to happen. Um, So I think those are probably two two reasons why we're Stone Age techies.
1: So insightful. Uh, An API is application programming interface for our listeners. It's, bas- it's just a very basic data link between two different softwares, which, by the way, is super common through the rest of our lives. <laughs> um, and it's going on all the time. It, it does not happen as much in, in our field um, where different um, uh, um, different softwares talk to one another. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. And, like, there's – we all have um, – experiences with software that are less than ideal, right? And I think part of that just comes from expectation, right? Like technology, um, I like to think of doesn't improve our lives, it only changes our expectations. And so we have to be really clear going in that, that no software is going to be a panacea for everything. There, there's not, coming back to that idea of a, a silver bullet, there's not a silver bullet for wait lists, there's not a silver bullet for software, but when used appropriately, when the right ROI is calculated, as you described, when you're clear what you're trying to get out of it, um, and you appropriately resource it, um, that's where there can be, I think, magic. Uh, what do you think, Erica? Is, um, what's one thing, like, every ABA business owner should start doing? What's one thing they should stop
0: doing? Mm-hmm. I think, you know what, that's really different for different um, size companies. So, like for a small mm. mom and pop company, I think that um, they need to stop trying to do everything. The business owner needs to stop trying to do everything themselves and grow, because mm. that that leads to like panic attacks and massive burnout. Um, and start, you know, delegating and training and putting staff in positions that. Um, You know, they probably, the business owner probably could do better, but put a staff member in there, allow them to fail, train them, get them um, Mm -hmm. successful in that position. Um, For large companies, I think that they need to listen better to their staff Mm. and not just the sounding board that they have around them, kind of in the executive boardroom but the people on the ground, the ones who are in the trenches doing the work, they need to listen to them. Um, I think that's probably the most important thing that big companies need to start doing.
1: I heard something, I heard many things really important what you described, but but use this term, allow them to fail. Um, This is so important. I feel like in life generally, Right. In order to learn, we have to fail at things. Hopefully it's not a catastrophic failure, right? It's right. not the one year old who like accidentally puts their finger in the socket. All right, don't make it catastrophic. But like you have to have a, a safe environment in which to fail so that you can learn. Because learning doesn't come except for if you only have successes in life, you will never learn. Right? So I I think that's um that's really critically important to take away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Erica, throw one question at me, any question, and make me answer on the spot.
0: I want to know what other industry or type of business you would love founding if, for some reason, you couldn't do anything in or near or around ABA.
1: Oh, gosh. Okay, so I'm not allowed to start another autism-related, ABA-related.
0: Right. Right. Oh, gosh. Okay.
1: (laughs) Okay. This is unscripted, so I have to – well, actually, the answer immediately comes to mind. Are you ready? You're going to think I'm crazy, though.
0: It's going to be – wait, let me um, guess. Can I guess?
1: Yes, please, please.
0: (laughs) Is it going to be some kind of outdoor adventure company?
1: So you know what's so interesting about that? Um, About – Fifteen years ago, when I had my life epiphany and I transitioned from the corporate world and you know Silicon Valley and, and boring corporate stuff, um, I founded an outdoor education nonprofit, Sierra Nevada Journeys, um, in Reno, Nevada, um, and we were the greater Reno Lake Tahoe area, Eastern California. That was that was an extraordinary experience. And uh, we grew to serving like thousands of kids a year and uh, and actually still going um, uh, 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 amazingly today, even though it's been like 11 years since I was there. Um, And so so I got to do that. And now I see outdoors more as my, that's my passion and and not maybe more importantly, just my passion. What I love to do most is teaching my kids that. So um, skiing, mountain biking, climbing, like being able to do that as a family. So I'm gonna keep that my passion. <laughs> so okay. you're right on that side, my passion. But the 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 organization I would start, you know what? Honestly, I think it would be a blockchain um, oh. slash crypto asset related organization. Oh. Yeah, and That's again, I'm, I'm, I'm I love not. That. I'm gonna try not to go off. <laughs> I won't go off the deep end too much on this, but here one of the things that I think is happening more broadly in our world and in our country is we just loss of trust. Right? Mm-hmm. There's loss of trust in institutions. There's loss of trust in with each other in communities there's loss of trust in government i mean there's there's loss of trust in companies right and we see this in our field right with like loss of trust in um uh, say i don't know non-independent aba providers those that are private equity or venture capital backed and so with this like so that's just a trend that's happening right that i think we are generally as a world less in control of what are we in control of the ability to create organizations and governance institutions that can act in more trustless environments but that still promote the kind of trust that I think we would all hope for in our communities. Um, So what's an example of this? Um, uh, DAOs or Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. In fact just a few months ago the Constitution DAO was one of the first of these that pooled. I mean within a few days it pooled tens of millions of dollars to go bid on a replica of the constitution or an authentic replica. Um, So this is really interesting, right? Like Mm -hmm. normally to raise that kind of money, you know, venture capital has to go out and get a fund and like put, there's all kinds of stuff that goes into it. They raised it literally in like two or three days. Um, And they brought together people who were extraordinarily interested Mm -hmm. in owning a teeny tiny fractional share of an authenticated constitution. That's kind of cool. And they developed their own governance structure about how they would like create rules and things. Now, the constitution down ended up being a a failure and mostly because they published the price, they were going to buy the constitution (laughs) at. So there was a financier that came in and bid one dollar more. The point is, I think there's something really, really profound in um, creating this additional governance type system in in trustless environments that still creates communities and authentic relationships, allows people to engage in the things they love doing, allows them to bring money to bear, right? It's one thing to say, oh, I love the Constitution. It's another thing to actually say, I'm gonna put up a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks, whatever it is. Um, I think that's really powerful and I would, okay, so it wouldn't be specific to autism, but it would be specific to healthcare. And it would be, how can we put um, protected health information, PHI, back Mm -hmm. into the hands of consumers so that you know consumers own that information they decide how it gets used they can use it however they want it to get used um if they wanted to sell it to a pharma company great right they can make money with that but and then pharma work presumably it works out designing new drugs so that would be incredible (laughs)
0: that would would be incredible i think that's a phenomenal idea well i want to know if you get to do it (laughs)
1: All right. Sounds good. I will. um, (laughs) ah, Man, that actually sounds kind of exciting as I talk about it.
0: We'll see. Erica,
1: where can people find you at ABA Engine online?
0: So ABAengine.com or LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. If anyone is interested in reaching out to me, I love talking to people. Um, If you're interested in selling your business, I'm happy to chat with you and you can bounce some ideas off of me. I've sat on both sides of the table. If you're interested in consulting, I also am doing that. Um, Something's got to fund this tech company. (laughs) (laughs) If you're interested in uh, ABA Engine um, and using our software, I would really, really love to talk to you. So yeah, reach out to me on LinkedIn or um, erica at abaengine.com.
1: Awesome, I appreciate your willingness to share your wisdom and ideas with others, that's um, that's such an important part of our ABA field that I found. Awesome. All right, well, are you ready for our hot take rapid fire questions?
0: Let's do it. I'm ready.
1: All right, Erica, you're on your deathbed. What's the one thing you wanna be remembered for?
0: You know, honestly, that um, people would say I brought out potential that they didn't see in themselves.
1: Mm. What's your most important self-care practice?
0: Uh I, this is actually like, okay, so I'm not doing the rapid fire thing. I'm going to answer it and then I'm going to explain it. (laughs) Uh, Focusing on others first. I think it's an upside down economy. Mm. And you really don't get joy when you focus on yourself. You really don't get to experience true joy. Mm.
1: I agree a hundred percent. And in spades, be a giver first. Many things will come back in return. I love it. If you could cancel all meetings and skip all your responsibilities for a day, how would you spend the day?
0: Reading. Reading anything I could get my hands on.
1: Nice. Any awesome books you've read recently that you want people to know about, that they just have to read? Um,
0: I mean, I don't know. If people would think that they're awesome. Um, I'm currently reading a book about Galileo. <laughs> I'm reading a um, uh, marketing book. And um, an mm-hmm. influencer book. So I don't know that they're high, high exciting content.
1: Those sound interesting to me. And I'm going to, you know, what? I'll get the names of those so we can put them in the show notes. Okay. Um, I, uh, You sound like me where I usually have three or four books going at any one time. Yep. <laughs> That's cool. What's your favorite song ever?
0: So Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And it's because my mm. mom sang it to me When I was a child, when she put me to bed, every single night, all of the verses. Um, And it's just a really precious memory that I have of her.
1: That's beautiful, Erica. And a beautiful song. It is. If you could give your 18-year-old self one piece of advice, what would it be?
0: Just hold on. Just hold on. I don't even have anything better to tell you than Uh just... Hold on. You're going to screw up a lot of things and it's going to be really hard. Just keep going. That's what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so good. I love that.
1: You could only wear one style of footwear for the rest of your life. What would it be?
0: I didn't know there were multiple styles of footwear. I just wear flip-flops.
1: Mm. Ooh, well said. Well said. And on that note, Erica, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time and for sharing your energy and wisdom with us.
0: Yeah, thank you. It was wonderful. And I'm not, I'm not as nervous as I
1: thought I would be. <laughs> you crushed it. You crushed <laughs> it. Thanks, Erica. Thanks.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening to Building Better Businesses in ABA podcast. Stay tuned for our next exciting episode. In the meantime, please like, subscribe, share, and comment. We value your feedback. Don't forget to follow us on social media at elementrcm.ai.